Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. There's a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set blazing all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around. Before we run aground, we gotta turn this ship around. Before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we're also found for your binge listening pleasure. We're podcast on Google, Stitcher, and Apple iTunes if you're on your computer or your mobile device. And we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. I'm joined by Chris Ryan, the irrepressible Chris Ryan. Here we are in studio to talk about weighty matters of state. Chris, welcome to Off the Record. It is an honor to be here. I appreciate that. I I agree. I I mean I I'm glad you said it. If you hadn't, you I would have. To, right? Yeah, I was gonna I yep. was gonna have to say it. But listen, so 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 you know I'm I watch TV now and then. I turn on the telly to see what's on the telly, and and on on the telly this week appeared as he often does the magnanimous president of the United States, Donald Trump, answering shouted. Questions from reporters on the lawn of the White House in his Donald Trumpian style. And, and, and never mind that he couldn't pronounce the word origin. Uh, you know, what was great was hearing President Trump um, uh, say about six times the oranges of the investigation because he was complaining. He was complaining about the instigation of the investigation into potential Russian interference, now not potential, but clearly Russian interference with the 2016 elections, but an investigation into the potential role of the president and his cronies and cabal with the Russian interference. And as we know, there have been many indictments handed down of Russians and uh, those who surrounded Trump. Um, Of course, a sitting president, according to precedent, uh, is not subject to indictment. We've had the Mueller report come out, and uh, we don't know what it says yet. We had a four-page summary from Trump's hand-picked guy at the attorney general's office, uh, attorney General Barr, who seems to think that he's an attorney general for Trump, not an attorney general for the people of the United States, and we'll get there. But Trump has been crowing because he believes that 
He's been cleared. That's what he thinks. And now he's going on the offense. And he went on the offense by claiming that the origin, not oranges, Mr. President, the origin of the investigation were, constituted treason. He used that word, claiming basically that the FBI was treasonous and that they were spying on him. He used the word spying. Now, it's a loaded word. Spying is, is, is not, it, spy is a simple word of three letters, but it's loaded when you talk about domestic spying um, as opposed to a legitimate law enforcement investigation based on a probable cause to believe or a reasonable cause to believe that an investigation is warranted. Uh, the United States intelligence agencies are very sensitive about domestic spying, uh, and they generally conduct domestic surveillance and open investigations when it's warranted. The president, who has no fan of the intelligence agencies, he doesn't seem to care what they tell him, he doesn't seem to listen to them, called them traitors, said he, they were spying on him, and in fact, under questioning by Senator Shaheen um, uh, at, the, uh, at, at the Senate committee, Attorney General Barr used the same language. He later tried to walk it back a little bit, but he basically gave credence to the president's fantasy that the FBI were traitors and he had been spied upon as if the spying was an illegal activity. And Barr says that he has questions about the instigation of the investigation. Now, there's a lot we know about the instigation of that investigation. The Republicans have long cried out about the Steele dossier and what they found. But what we have heard, and we heard it from James Comey, the former head of the FBI, was that there was specific, credible information that led to an investigation of, uh, the, of Trump, his cronies, his cabal, his campaign, uh, and an investigation into whether or not there was collusion at the White House. So Trump likes to make things simple. Trump likes to appeal to his base. But crowing about treason by the FBI and the CIA, crowing about spying, seems to cross a line into outright delusion and an outrageous claim couple really key things off of this first um you've made my mind move when you said that spy is a three-letter word but has so much meaning to it you know i think that the smaller the words generally the more meaning they have like it was like there's like that could mean anything but if the word gets bigger like abolish that's that's pretty clearly defined right the bigger the words the more clearly defined they are, the smaller the words, they could mean just about anything. So I think you have said something incredibly profound that Wait I think English teachers are debating now what, did, all over what, the nation. Wasn't President Clinton all hung up on, was it, was it it or was is, it is? Is. Is. What is is? Was, what what is, depends on what is is. What is is. <laughs> so that's it. I mean, that's even more crazy because that's a two-letter word. Right. And, and you'd think. Well, it, it is pretty, like, yeah. that's a pretty crazy one, too. Like, that's, it could mean anything it's loaded that's right. a loaded term <laughs> the smaller the word are, are we allowed to use that on the radio are we allowed to say that word does the does the federal communications commission allow us to say that if if, if we shouldn't be saying it 
we we apologize. Right, we, right. we don't mean to offend anybody. Uh, the other thing is on the spying and uh, the accusation that made by the attorney general. When individuals, as you well know, go in front of um, congressional hearings, there are no mistakes in what they they say. There, you could not. A person could not be more careful in using their words than when they are sitting in front of Congress. And let's face it, let's face it, he's a former attorney general. Right. He's a lawyer. He's reputedly now no dummy. I mean, he knew exactly what he was saying. And, you know, it seemed to me that he was speaking to an audience of one. Right. He was speaking to his guy, the president. And he, was, he might as well have said, Mr. President, go ahead and say any outrageous thing you want to say about it. I'm here for you. It was also interesting. James Comey was being uh, was discussing this and said that he didn't think electronic surveillance was spying. The question is not whether or not electronic surveillance was being used or if it's spying or getting into the weeds in regards to that. The question is, was there a reason for it? And um, that is something that the president and again, we have seen the narrative shift on the Mueller report just based upon uh, on, on Barr's letter where it's now where the president seems to have some sort of a momentum at this point, where he can make claims such as the, and that he was making before, but they have more credence now that he was be unjustly being spied upon because Barr has summarized the Mueller report to mean that the president um, has been exonerated on Russia, and Barr himself has exonerated him in regards to obstruction of justice. So, yeah, I mean, obviously there should be... We should look into whether or not um, the electronic surveillance that was being used on the Trump campaign came as a result of um, individuals not gathering the appropriate evidence and warrants and such to, to do that. Well, why do you say, obviously, we should look into it? We can't. You, there's no way. Let, let's 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 be clear. And, I, and this is not a partisan partisan issue. You've got a 400 page report by sure. the special prosecutor with who knows how many thousands of pages of evidence uh, bar. Trump's guy summarizes it in a four-page letter and says, "So, so, so, I don't see it, enough evidence to uh, to uh, convict him of obstruction." Fine, uh, we know where that sits. But until the Mueller report is out, and until we can really see what's going on, this notion, this this absurd notion that the FBI or the CIA undertook an investigation of the president, his cabal, and his cronies without some reasonable cause is just that. It's a fanciful political notion. And on my show, I'm not going to let you or anybody else get away with suggesting there's some basis to go investigate the FBI. We have no idea except what we do know and that is out in the public is there was plenty of reason to believe that the Trump people were colluding with Russia. They had a meeting with Russia. We know about Trump's ties with Russia, which he's lied about. This president is a liar, liar, pants on fire president. He is incapable of telling the truth about anything. So when he says no collusion, no collusion, when Barr says, I don't find obstruction of justice, you know, for me... I don't care. But those things do not, <clears throat> just because the president is a liar and there's circumstantial evidence doesn't mean that the FBI can automatically investigate people. This wasn't, wait a second, 
this automatic is one of those big words, okay? It's not That's like spy. Word. Spy has three letters. <laughs> automatic has a lot of letters. So so we know what that means. This was not an automatic investigation. Right, and that's what I <clears throat> and that's what needs to if what, it, that what? needs to be cleared up and be transparent. We already know from Comey what happened. He saw all kinds of reason to have an investigation and he and and it, we all know that he said this was a highly unusual step. Mm-hmm. It's not routine. It is not automatic to to investigate a president and those around him. But when the president and those around him appears to be um, a handmaiden of Vladimir Putin. But I think it's important to know what evidence led to that investigation for just for all around purposes. So no, that's probably contained in the special right. prosecutor's so report. Right. So let's see the report. I, I agree with you. There we go. Let's see the report. <laughs> let's see the report. You Here. and I agree. Full circle. Let's see the report. So are we going to get to see the report, or when Barr releases it, he said in mid-April, are we going to have nothing but black lines written, driven through all the good stuff in the report? Is it going to be so redacted that we're not going to be able to see anything? And how is this going to play out politically over the course of this campaign? between now and 2020. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet and archived for your binge listening pleasure at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Now, folks, don't go away We'll be right back to talk with Jason Rosenstock, our guy in the know about the dough in Washington, D.C., about goings-on at the House Financial Services Committee and what it might mean for you. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM. Brought to you by the Birches of Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. And we are also to be found on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes as a podcast. We are being heard also at nhtalkradio.com, where we're archived for your Binge listening pleasure. Listen to all our past shows. I want to welcome Jason Rosenstock back to Off the Record, our man in Washington, the guy in the know with the money. That is the guy in the know with the dough. Jason, welcome back. Good to be here, Paul. So uh, I'm just picking up on some interesting news in the world of finances. Now, when I was on the Financial Services Committee way back when, when you and I first met, I served on that committee with a staunch conservative Republican from Texas named Jeb Henserling. Jeb Henserling was an interesting fellow. I think he became, under the Republicans, the chair of the uh, U.S. House of Representatives Financial Services Committee. Am I remembering that correctly? For the past six years, he was the chairman. So my, my memory, though failing, is not completely gone. But the news is that Jeb Henserling has just joined the American subsidiary of Swiss bank 
UBS, and they say he's going to work closely with their leadership team, financial advisors and bankers to build and strengthen our most important client relationships across our businesses, said Tom Narratil, president of UBS Americas, citing Jeb's long career in both politics and business. So there you have just a prime example, Jason, of what we might call the revolving door in Washington, because the House Financial Services was is charged with regulating UBS, one of the world's big banks. And UBS is a, you know, is a major player in the world financial markets. Um, and, and here we have Jeb turning around from his congressional career and now going to work for UBS, whom he regulated. It strikes me that no doubt while he was on the committee, he must have been in some discussions with UBS about taking this kind of job. Maybe, maybe not. But what do we what what do we do about the revolving door in the financial services industry and what impact does it have uh, on regulation and legislation coming out of the financial services committee? And is there any move down there uh, in Washington, D.C. to do something about revolving door politics? Um, well, it's a very loaded question. I think, you know, I would say I didn't read the uh, every line and um, sentence of this press release that you quoted, although I believe, I don't believe Jeb Hensling is actually going to be lobbying for UBS. I think he's going to be working on the business side of things, but I, I could be wrong. With that being, being said, obviously, I, I think there's a lot of um, uh, concern from some quarters of the this revolving door that you speak about, I think that it is more often not the perception than the reality that it creates problems. Um, in, in my experience, the door revolves, uh, or used to at least, both ways, which is that you then get people um, with real experience having worked in the industries, whether for a specific company or more broadly, and then are able to translate that knowledge uh, that they've taken and, you know, being able to craft regulation. I, I think you look, for example, at the Volcker Rule, uh, which is, you know, hailed by many as uh, being a, a critical component of uh, sensible regulation on the banks to prevent the type of reckless um, uh, risk-taking that sort of landed us in the financial crisis in the first place. Uh, you know, it was written in large part by, by staffers who had been, you know, former industry uh, lawyers, right, who knew the insides and the out of the industry and were able to take that knowledge and use it to um, craft a rule that, you know, I think has uh, obviously might need some tweaks and stuff, but has worked generally worked pretty well and I think uh, would be hailed by the, by the progressives as, a, as one of the better components of the, um, of the Dodd-Frank bill. Um, but that being said, I think you saw recently the House passed H.R. 1, which was a broad sweeping ethics reform bill uh, that would make some significant changes to uh, Washington, and I think would, pre I think, I can't remember specifically, but I think it included language that would prevent uh, members of Congress from becoming uh, lobbyists. Um, you know, I think uh, that sort of, the revolving door has, has, has many levels, both at a member level and a staff level. Um, and there are restrictions on members and staff currently in terms of the, a cooling off period. Uh, from lobbying, um, I think, and, and that law would strengthen it, among other things. But well, you, uh, you know, you you raise really good points, and and 
and while it's easy, it's easy to have a knee-jerk reaction about uh, the revolving door. I mean, it, let, let's be let's be let's be f- totally frank. It exists, or be totally Paul and Jason. It exists. There is a revolving door, and as you say, it works both ways. People who are experienced in uh, Congress often find themselves um, moving into industry positions uh, that they've become familiar with um, while they were in Congress. And people in industry who are familiar with the way industry works have moved into positions, off, and sometimes staff positions, and sometimes simply as, as, as uh, members of Congress, or, for example, as members of cabinets. Now, one of the, one of the challenges is that uh, from on a, in a political in the political context you had you've seen uh, uh, our current president Trump decrying Wall Street and saying that he you know basically coming across as a populist for the people saying that uh, you know he he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna be beholden to anybody and he was gonna drain the swamp that was his his big cry was drain the swamp because basically his pitch was I'm already a billionaire I don't need to suck up to anybody we're gonna drain the swamp and and what he's done is bring uh, industry leaders um, into positions of power, um, uh, ex-chairman of Boeing, ex-chairman of Exxon, um, bankers uh, at the highest levels um, into positions of power in his cabinet so that his cabinet uh, and his administration, to the extent that he's actually filled any positions, have been populated with people who've had very, very senior positions in industry. And it's causing real you know it's causing it's causing a lot of hair to fall out on the left people are just upset about the fact that it looks like our government is now a corporatocracy run by captains of industry and and it's not a it's not a new problem i mean if you think back to the iraq war you had dick cheney as the vice president of the united states who was a former senior official at halliburton and halliburton got all the contracts um, uh, over in Iraq, uh, in a privatized conflict. When I went over to Iraq, uh, the and uh, I was there in um, uh, in uh, in the Halliburton Run Dining Hall. Um, right. Uh, you know Halliburton. Under the Lockcap, yeah, the, the right. Lockcap contract. That's right. It was uh, so. So it is a real challenge in government to run a an effective and clean government when a lot of the expertise you need is 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 in or with industries uh, where there's a flow back and forth so the the ethics of the situations when people pay attention to ethics and you know from my standpoint uh, forgive my partisanship on it but Trump doesn't seem to care about ethics um, but when you're trying to run an ethical government uh, it's a it's it's a real issue I mean I, my recollection was that when President Obama came in, one of the first things he did was he said, you know, we're not going to have lobbyists come to the White House. Um, and really, he he put an emphasis on ethics in government. Not that he got a lot of credit for it. Nobody seemed to care when they elected Donald Trump about ethics. Um, but in terms of the effective functioning of government, you really want a government that is working on behalf of the people, uh, independent of ne- of what may be the interests of the corporatocracy, which has so much sway through its uh, through its money and people in the government. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, right, like, to me, there's a distinction between uh, someone who is in a position and happens to have been maybe a registered lobbyist on an issue or for a company um, and, and, and uses that experience in one way and that someone who is in a position of power and then, and then you know, um, uh, feeds contracts or, or, you know, a specific benefit back to the previous employer or, or, or client or something of that nature. I think there's a distinction there. Um, you know, we tend to paint and, and cut with broad brushes these days. Um, and so maybe those distinctions get uh, turned out in the wash. Um, but, you know, you know, the president, I mean, Obama, uh, candidly, right, like had this rule that, you know, we weren't going to meet with lobbyists or you weren't going to, um, you couldn't have lobbyists in the campaign, you know, in the, in the administration. Um, they also wouldn't take money, for example, from lobbyists, although when they called me just out of my personal experience and I told them I was registered as much as I'd love to give, they'd say, oh, that's fine. Can we, can your wife write the check? So, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, of, uh, and then with the meeting of lobbyists, they just went across the street, right? They met coffee, they got coffee, uh, across the street. So you weren't officially on the White House log. I think, right, but part of that is to this larger point of you got to cut with these, you got to make these broad ultimatums of I'm not going to do this. And I think it reflects really more of an anger that people have about the system seeming to be rigged. Um, and and I, no matter how hard, you know, you individually are, are trying to advance an issue or, or to, to do something that the, the broader them, uh, whoever whoever your favorite target is, whether it's, corp, you know, corporations on the left or immigrants on the right, um, you know, they're, they're getting the, the way or they're getting the system, and I think it speaks to some broader uh, structural concerns that the country is currently facing. Yeah. I mean, have, have you sensed a, any change um, in, the, in the tone of the Financial Services Committee since Democrats have taken over? We've now had uh, four months of uh, Democratic control of the committee. Maxine Waters, my former colleague, um, uh, is now chair of chair of the committee. Um, are you, do you get a sense um, as somebody who follows the the affairs of that committee very closely that the Democrats are taking a different approach and setting a different tone to some of the issues we've just been talking about? Yeah, I mean they're definitely setting a different tone. I mean I think the challenge that well, first of all, I mean you know the thing about Washington this year in particular is that between the um, protracted uh, speakership race that Nancy Pelosi uh, had to deal with. And then the shutdown, they really uh, lost, uh, you know, a good six weeks almost right. of um, organizational time. And so things right. are sort of just starting to, you know, we just, uh, the cherry blossoms just uh, had reached peak bloom last week, and it seems like Congress has finally also uh, reached peak bloom in the sense of organizationally finally getting up and running. But, um that being said, there, there's definitely a market uh, market difference between uh, the tenor of the committee's uh, rhetoric, if you will, or agenda, really, uh, from a chairwoman Waters as opposed to uh, Chairman Henslinger. Had it been, you know, Chairman McHenry, had the Republicans maintained um, control, or whoever the Republican would have been. I mean, you see it in the hearings they've had, right? So far, they've had the CEOs of the three major. Credit reporting agencies, uh, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian come in and testify and talk about their industry. Uh, this past week, we saw the CEOs of the largest banks come in. Um, and so, you know, those types of hearings uh, would not have occurred beforehand. You've seen she's de- devoted a ton of hearings to trying to figure out how to deal with homelessness. 
Um, I think housing reform, and this is a little wonky probably for a lot of your listeners, but as, as you're well aware, right, there's the GSEs, Fannie and Freddie, that have been, uh, that they back uh, mortgages, the 30-year mortgage um, for banks in the secondary market. Um, they've been in conservatorship since uh, the Great Recession. Uh, there is uh, strong interest on both the left and the right trying to find a resolution to this housing finance reform. And I think, uh, unlike her predecessor, or unlike the Republican, Chair Waters is very interested in making sure that uh, addressing homelessness uh, is, is one of those issues. And I think what you're, what you're seeing really on the committee is uh, a change in tone because you just have, it's such an incredibly, uh, particularly on the Democratic side, inc- incredibly diverse committee of, uh, of, of uh, African Americans, of Hispanics, of, of women, um, you know, who, who are just bring a different perspective and represent a different constituency than um, had sort of been the norm in the past. And I think you're seeing that reflect in the line of questionings. I mean, I think a lot of attention gets paid to um, three three freshman members of the committee in particular, but there's a lot of young new members on that committee who, you know, are asking really challenging uh, questions to the witnesses and bringing up some really um, uh, areas of policy changes that are worth exploring. We're talking with Jason Rosenstock, our, our guy in Washington, the man in the know about the dough. He follows financial services especially. Uh, this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a very short break, and we'll be right back with more Off the Record. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. And we are also to be found on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes as a podcast. We are being heard also at nhtalkradio.com, where we're archived for your Binge listening pleasure. Listen to all our past shows. I want to welcome Jason Rosenstock back to Off the Record, our man in Washington, the guy in the know with the money. That is the guy in the know with the dough. Jason, welcome back. Good to be here, Paul. So uh, I'm just picking up on some interesting news in the world of finances. Now, when I was on the Financial Services Committee way back when, when you and I first met, I served on that committee with a staunch conservative Republican from Texas named Jeb Henserling. Jeb Henserling was an interesting fellow. I think he became, under the Republicans, the chair of the uh, U.S. House of Representatives Financial Services Committee. Am I remembering that correctly? For the past six years, he was the chairman. So my, my memory, though failing, is not completely gone. 
But the news is that Jeb Henserling has just joined the American subsidiary of Swiss bank UBS, and they say he's going to work closely with their leadership team, financial advisors and bankers to build and strengthen our most important client relationships across our businesses, said Tom Narratil, president of UBS Americas, citing Jeb's long career in both politics and business. So there you have just a prime example, Jason, of what we might call the revolving door in Washington, because the House Financial Services was is charged with regulating UBS, one of the world's big banks. And UBS is a, you know, is a major player in the world financial markets. Um, And and here we have Jeb turning around from his congressional career and now going to work for UBS, whom he regulated. It strikes me that no doubt while he was on the committee, he must have been in some discussions with UBS about taking this kind of job. Maybe, maybe not. But what do we what what do we do about the revolving door in the financial services industry and what impact does it have uh, on regulation and legislation coming out of the financial services committee? And is there any move down there uh, in Washington, D.C. to do something about revolving door politics? Um, well, it's a very loaded question. I think, you know, I would say I didn't read the uh, every line and um, sentence of this press release that you quoted, although I believe, I don't believe Jeb Henseling is actually going to be lobbying for UBS. I think he's going to be working on the business side of things, but I, I could be wrong. With that being, being said, obviously, I, I think there's a lot of um, uh, concern from some quarters of the this revolving door that you speak about, I think that it is more often not the perception than the reality that it creates problems. Um, in, in my experience, the door revolves, uh, or used to at least, both ways, which is that you then get people um, with real experience having worked in the industries, whether for a specific company or more broadly, and then are able to translate that knowledge uh, that they've taken and you know being able to craft regulation. I, I think you look, for example, at the Volcker Rule, uh, which is, you know, hailed by many as uh, being a, a critical component of uh, sensible regulation on the banks to prevent the type of reckless um, uh, risk-taking that sort of landed us in the financial crisis in the first place. Uh, you know, it was written in large part by, by staffers who had been, you know, former industry uh, lawyers, right, who knew the insides and the out of the industry and were able to take that knowledge and use it to um, craft a rule that, you know, I think has uh, obviously might need some tweaks and stuff, but has worked generally worked pretty well and I think uh, would be hailed by the, by the progressives as, a, as one of the better components of the, um, of the Dodd-Frank bill. Um, but that being said, I think you saw recently the House passed H.R. 1, which was a broad sweeping ethics reform bill uh, that would make some significant changes to uh, Washington, and I think would, pre- I think, I can't remember specifically, but I think it included language that would prevent uh, members of Congress from becoming uh, lobbyists. Um, you know, I think uh, that sort of, the revolving door has, has, has many levels, both at a member level and a staff level. Um, and there are restrictions on members and staff currently in terms of a, a cooling off period 
from lobbying, um, I think, and, and that law would strengthen it, among other things. But well, you, uh, you know, you you raise really good points, and 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 while it's easy, it's easy to have a knee jerk reaction about uh, the revolving door. I mean, it, let, let's be let's be let's be f- totally frank. It exists. Or be totally Paul and Jason. It exists. There is a revolving door. And as you say, it works both ways. People who are experienced in uh, Congress often find themselves um, moving into industry positions uh, that they've become familiar with um, while they were in Congress. And people in industry who are familiar with the way industry works have moved into positions, off, and sometimes staff positions, and sometimes simply as, as, as uh, members of Congress or, for example, as members of cabinets. Now, one of the, one of the challenges is that uh, from on a, in a political in the political context you had you've seen uh, uh, our current president Trump decrying Wall Street and saying that he you know basically coming across as a populist for the people saying that uh, you know he he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna be beholden to anybody and he was going to drain the swamp that was his his big cry was drain the swamp because basically his pitch was I'm already a billionaire I don't need to suck up to anybody we're gonna drain the swamp and and what he's done is bring uh, industry leaders um, into positions of power um, uh, ex-chairman of Boeing, ex-chairman of Exxon, um, bankers uh, at the highest levels um, into positions of power in his cabinet so that his cabinet uh, and his administration, to the extent that he's actually filled any positions, have been populated with people who've had very, very senior positions in industry. And it's causing real, you know, it's causing it's causing a lot of hair to fall out on the left. People are just upset about the fact that it looks like our government is now a corporatocracy run by captains of industry and and it's not a it's not a new problem. I mean, if you think back to the Iraq war, you had Dick Cheney as the vice president of the United States who was a former senior official at Halliburton and Halliburton got all the contracts um, uh, over in Iraq uh, in a privatized conflict. When I went over to Iraq uh, the, and uh, I was there in, um, uh, in, uh, in the Halliburton-run dining hall, um, right. uh, you know, Halliburton... The Lockcap, yeah, the, the right. Lockcap contract. That's right. It was, uh, so, so it is a real challenge in government to run a, an effective and clean government when a lot of the expertise you need is 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 in or with industries uh, where there's a flow back and forth so the the ethics of the situations when people pay attention to ethics and you know from my standpoint uh, forgive my partisanship on it but Trump doesn't seem to care about ethics um, but when you're trying to run an ethical government uh, it's a it's it's a real issue I mean I, my recollection was that when President Obama came in, one of the first things he did was he said, you know, we're not going to have lobbyists come to the White House. 
um, and really he, he put an emphasis on ethics in government. Not that he got a lot of credit for it. Nobody seemed to care when they elected Donald Trump about ethics. Um, but in terms of the effective functioning of government, you really want a government that is working on behalf of the people, uh, independent of, ne- of what may be the interests of the corporatocracy, which has so much sway through its, uh, through its money and people in the government. Yeah, I mean, I think, right, like, to me, there's a distinction between uh, someone who is in a position and happens to have been maybe a registered lobbyist on an issue or for a company um, and, and and uses that experience in one way and, and someone who is in a position of power and then, and then you know, um, uh, feeds contracts or, or, you know, a specific benefit back to the previous employer or 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 client or something of that nature, I think there's a distinction there. Um, You know, we tend to paint and and cut with broad brushes these days, Um, and so maybe those distinctions get uh, turned out in the wash. Um, But, you know, know, the president, I mean, Obama, uh, candidly, right, like had this rule that, you know, we weren't going to meet with lobbyists or you weren't going to, you couldn't have lobbyists in the campaign, you know, in in the administration, um, they also wouldn't take money, for example, from lobbyists, although when they called me just out of my personal experience and I told them I was registered as much as I'd love to give, they'd say, oh, that's fine. Can we? Can your wife write the check? So, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, of uh, and then with the meeting of lobbyists, they just went across the street, right? They met coffee. They got coffee uh, across the street, so you weren't officially on the White House log. I think, right, but part of that is to this larger point of you got to cut with these, you got to make these broad ultimatums of I'm not going to do this, and I think it's, reflects really more of an anger that people have about the system seeming to be rigged um, and and uh, no matter how hard you know you individually are, are trying to advance an issue or, or to, to do something that the, the broader them uh, whoever whoever your favorite target is whether it's corp, you know corporations on the left or immigrants on the right um, you know they're they're getting the, the way or they're getting the system and I think it speaks to some broader uh, structural concerns that the country is currently facing. Yeah, I mean, have have you sensed a any change um, in the in the tone of the Financial Services Committee since Democrats have taken over? We've now had uh, four months of uh, Democratic control of the committee. Maxine Waters, my former colleague, um, uh, is now chair of chair of the committee. Um, are you, do you get a sense, um, as somebody who follows the, the affairs of that committee very closely, that the Democrats are taking a different approach and setting a different tone to some of the issues we've just been talking about? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely setting a, a different tone. I mean, I think the challenge that, well, first of all, I mean, you know, the thing about Washington this year in particular is that between the um, protracted uh, speakership race that Nancy Pelosi uh, had to deal with, and then the shutdown. They really uh, lost, uh, you know, a good six weeks almost right. of um, organizational time, and so things right. are sort of just starting to, you know, we just uh, the cherry blossoms just uh, had reached peak bloom last week, and it seems like Congress has finally also uh, reached peak bloom in the sense of organizationally finally getting up and running. But um, that being said, there there's definitely a market uh, market difference between uh, the tenor of the committee's uh, rhetoric, if you will, or agenda, really, uh, from a chairwoman Waters as opposed to uh, Chairman Hensling, or had it been, 
you know, Chairman McHenry had the Republicans maintain um, control or whoever the Republican would have been. I mean, you see it in the hearings they've had, right? So far they've had the CEOs of the three major credit reporting agencies, uh, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, come in and testify and talk about their industry. Uh, this past week we saw the CEOs of the largest banks come in. Um, and so, you know, those types of hearings uh, would not have occurred Beforehand, you've seen she's devoted a ton of hearings to trying to figure out how to deal with homelessness. Um, I think housing reform, and this is a little wonky probably for a lot of your listeners, but as as you're well aware, right, there's the GSEs, Fannie and Freddie, that have been, uh, that they back uh, mortgages, the 30-year mortgage um, for banks in the secondary market. Um, They've been in conservatorship since uh, the Great Recession. Uh, There is... uh, strong interest on both the left and the right trying to find a resolution to this housing finance reform. And I think, uh, unlike her predecessor, or unlike the Republican, Chair Waters is very interested in making sure that uh, addressing homelessness uh, is, is one of those issues. And I think what you're, what you're seeing really on the committee is uh, a change in tone because you just have, it's such an incredibly, uh, particularly on the Democratic side, incredibly diverse committee of uh, of, of African Americans, of Hispanics, of of women, um, you know, who who are just bring a different perspective and represent a different constituency than um, had sort of been the norm in the past. And I think you're seeing that reflect in the line of questioning. I um, mean, you know, I think a lot of attention gets paid to um, three three freshman members of the committee in particular. But there's a lot of young new members on that committee who you know are asking really challenging. Uh, questions to the witnesses and bringing up some really um, uh, areas of policy changes that are worth exploring. We're talking with Jason Rosenstock, our our guy in Washington, the man in the know about the dough. He follows financial services especially. Uh, this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a very short break, and we'll be right back with more Off the Record. Don't go away. Hi, this is Paul Hodes, and I want to talk to you about a truly inspirational place. The Birches at Concord. It's New Hampshire's first assisted living community for seniors, designed specifically for individuals living with dementia, Alzheimer's, or other forms of memory impairment. Please join us for a tour and celebrate life at the Birches. I know from experience that memory impairment weighs heavily on the individual affected, but also the loved ones surrounding them. Please call the Birches at Concord at 603-224-9111. Hi, this is Chris Ryan. I want to talk to you a little bit about Riverbend Community Mental Health. They're caring for the behavioral health of our community by providing professional counseling services to help individuals, couples, and families make positive changes. You can learn more at riverbendcmhc.org. Again, that's riverbendcmhc.org. You can also call them if you're having issues regarding mental health as they provide a mobile psychiatric unit. That phone number is 1-844-7-HELP-4-U. Riverbend Community Mental Health is serving our community, and they want you to know that treatment works. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com for your binge-listening pleasure. We're also podcast on Google and Stitcher and 
Apple iTunes. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches calling 224-9111. Well, wrapping up this week's edition of Off the Record, we had a great conversation with the irrepressible Chris Ryan. We talked about what's going on uh, down there in Washington, D.C. at the White House, uh, on the White House lawn, the president uh, using words like treason and spying and having it heard in the halls of Congress as well. Uh, And we talked with Jason Rosenstock, our guy in Washington, the man in the know about the dough, about what's going on at the Financial Services Committee. Sort of wonky in the weeds stuff, but critically important to the life of the economy of the country. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord. You can call 224-9111 to learn more. We thank our great sponsor. We thank all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes.